Hey, dear saints, you're listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword. Sermons from Pastor Kilgo, preached at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We pray that as you hear God's word, you would be strengthened in faith and love and rejoice in the joy of the Lord's promises and kindness. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, uh, the last few weeks we've been meditating on these different aspects of of the faith, uh, the the alones, so-called solas of the Reformation. So a couple weeks ago, we had grace alone, which is the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And last week, we had the scriptures alone, which is the parable of the sower and the seed. And this week, we get third of these, and that is faith alone. And this comes to us through... uh, Jesus' prophecy of his death and his resurrection in the contrasting of the reception of this preaching between the disciples and our brother in Christ, Bartimaeus. Now, it is an interesting thing. You'd think going into this, again, looking for the surprise in the text, as we should always be doing, that if you've got these two groups contrasted, who's, who's going to be the group that's going to get it? Who's going to be the, the people that are going to understand what Jesus is preaching? Well, it's going to be the disciples, right? They're wandering around with him for all this time. You're getting right up towards the the end of the Gospels at this point. You've only got a a little ways to go before Jesus will be delivered over into the hands of sinful men, as he's promised. Uh, And the disciples have been hearing this over and over. In fact, for the third time, they've heard Jesus tell them this. Back in Luke 9, Jesus tells them this twice. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Uh, This is prior to the transfiguration. This is where we have Peter coming up and putting his foot in his mouth and saying, by no means, Lord, you should not go to the cross. And Jesus rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then he's transfigured before them. The, The voice of the Father is borne out and says, this is my son, listen to him. Listen to what he's saying. And they come down the mountain and Jesus says the same thing again. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And then now, for the third time, Jesus says, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will raise. So which is going to be the group that's going to understand faith? Which is going to be the group that understands the preaching of the scriptures? It's certainly going to be the disciples, right? I mean, there there is no clearer statement about what's going to happen. Jesus cannot be any more clear. We're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be put into the hands of sinful men. They're they're not just going to, to kill me, but they're in fact going to spit on me. And they're going to beat me and treat me shamefully and flog me. And then they're going to crucify me. And then I'm not going to stay dead, but I'm going to be raised on the third day. It doesn't get any clearer than that. But the disciples don't understand. For some reason, they don't get it. They are continuing to do what 
Jesus has warned St. Paul of back in the admonition, they are setting their minds on the things of men and not on the things of God. And as they've gone along and they've come to understand more and more who Jesus is, this reality has not gotten easier but harder. Because they have come to understand that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God and God himself. He is very God of very God. He's the one who's created the heavens and the earth. He's the one who has power over demons and sickness and even the grave. How is that one going to die? How is that one going to be captured by men? This man that can command demons out with just a word, how can men lay a hand on him? And they've tried. And it's failed. Now, to emphasize how much the disciples don't get this, we get this, this wonderful, it's kind of hilarious, threefold negative at the end. They, the disciples, understood none of these things. The saying was hid from them. They did not grasp what was said. It's like redundantly, redundantly redundant. They don't get it. And they're not going to. Eventually, they're going to get it at the resurrection, but right now, they do not understand. They do not have faith in what Jesus is saying. And part of their problem is the same problem that we have, that we think that Jesus is too too grand for this. Uh, This is actually the temptation that shows up in Islam, uh, their confession of of, uh, Jesus as a prophet, uh, results in them confessing that Jesus does not die on the cross because, according to their confession, it is below the dignity of a prophet to die such a death, to suffer in such a way. Jesus can't die like this. And going along with this, we think that there's something more important for Jesus to do. That, that This guy that has revealed himself to be God, that creates everything, that heals people, that raises the dead, that, that cures sicknesses, uh, makes, make, makes blind men to see, makes deaf men to hear, makes the mute to speak. There's certainly something more important for him to do than go to Jerusalem and die. That, that's our temptation. We, we get this like at the end of the Gospel of Matthew where, where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And as we're reading along, we're like, okay, what are you going to do with all that authority? You can imagine, like, that's a lot of authority. All authority in heaven and on earth, and Jesus has it. What are you going to do? Solve world hunger. Get rid of all sickness. Raise all the dead. Make everybody dwell in peace and unity. And he says, no. Go and baptize and teach them to observe all I have commanded you. That's his all authority. And it's a little bit head-scratching because that's not what we expect because we expect that there's something, something better than that, something bigger than that. Certainly with all this power that Jesus has, he's, he's not going to go to the cross and die. He's going to uh, make sure that all the people around him are, are healed. He's going to make sure that uh, all the dead are raised. He's going to make sure all sickness is gone, that all poverty has ceased, that war ceased to the ends of the earth. Now, he'll do that, but not yet. 
That's not what he's here for at this point. But our temptation is to think that that's the bigger thing. But Jesus knows better. Jesus knows that the root of all those things, the root of pain and sickness and poverty and even of death, is our sin. And that's what he's here to deal with. Now, as we've talked about, when people come up to him and they bring the sick to him, when he encounters someone who is dead, when he encounters someone who is, as we're going to see, uh, blind, he cannot help but in his mercy remedy that. But that's not why he's there. What he is there for is to drive at the root, to drive at sin itself. Not just the symptoms, but the disease. This is what makes him a good physician. If you were, for example, to go to the doctor and you've got pain in your left arm, and you go to the doctor and say, my left arm hurts and my chest kind of hurts and it's kind of tight, and the doctor says, here's some ibuprofen, go take some and go home, you'll be fine. You've got kind of a bad doctor because he's treating the, the symptom, not the root, that you're having a heart attack. Jesus treats the symptom. Jesus doesn't treat the symptom. He treats the disease itself. He treats sin so that we wouldn't be healed temporarily, so we wouldn't be raised temporarily, but for eternity. But we, like this, the disciples, we struggle with this. This is not what we want out of Jesus, especially when we're in the midst of that pain and struggle. But the Lord enlightens us more and more as we go through this life, through his word, to understand these things until he brings us to the fullness of that in the resurrection, which is what happens to the disciples. We should remember this. The disciples very often don't understand these things until the resurrection. Uh, St. John is wonderful about this. He gives these editorial insertions that they understood none of these things until Jesus was raised from the dead. Finally, the resurrection makes the whole thing make sense, and for us as well. Now, contrasting all of this, we get the other character, and this is the blind man. St. Mark gives us his name. It's Bartimaeus. He is our brother in the faith. We will see him in the resurrection. The disciples are sitting there wondering what it is that Jesus is talking about, trying to figure out whether they need to have this guy committed or something. And as they're walking along, there's shouts of people calling out uh, to Jesus, and there's this blind man who's begging, he's, what's the commotion about? And they say, there's this guy walking by, it's Jesus of Nazareth, and he knows exactly who that is. His eyes don't work, but his ears work very well, and especially by faith. And he cries out, Jesus, not of Nazareth, but son of David, have mercy on me. And then when Jesus asks him what he wants, you get not the normal cry of the beggar, but the cry of someone pleading to God himself, let me receive my sight. Normally, as a beggar, you would cry out, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. But then when they ask you what you wanted, they'd say like maybe some bread or money or something like this, clothes. But he doesn't ask for those. He asks for his sight to come back because he knows that he's not just talking with some benefactor. He's talking with God himself. There's very clear from Bartimaeus's confession here. And therein lies the contrast. The disciples can see, but not by faith. They can hear, 
but not by faith. They don't understand what's going on. Bartimaeus, though his eyes don't work, he sees Jesus for who he is because he sees Jesus by his ears. And this is, this is always the contrast with stuff, that those who come to Jesus, having convinc- been convinced of their own goodness or coming to Jesus for bread, trying to make him a bread king like you have in John 6, they come with a cup that is full of their own self-righteousness and Jesus empties them out and they leave empty. As, as Mary says in, in, uh, in the great Magnificat, the, the rich he will send empty away. And more than that, these are the same group of people who tend to leave plotting to kill him. On the other hand, all these others who come up to him in faith, such as Bartimaeus, the poor and the downcast, the blind, the lame, they come empty and they leave filled. You have filled the hungry with good things, says Mary. They come with an empty cup and they leave with a cup that's overflowing. They come hungering and thirsting for righteousness and they leave full. And we are no different. We come, as Luther reminds us, as beggars, showing other beggars where we found bread. No good in ourselves, all good in Christ. We come blind, having not seen Jesus with our own eyes, but we come with the eyes of faith, having heard about him with our ears, and thereby being enlightened. Because Jesus gives us these eyes of faith to see him truly, like Bartimaeus does. And having been brought to that faith, having been brought to that, those eyes, we are healed, or literally saved, by that faith. Your faith has saved you, says Jesus to Bartimaeus. And he says that to you, dear saints, as well. Your faith has saved you. You belong to him. You know who he is. He is your Lord. He is your God. He is your Savior. He is your Redeemer. He is your brother. And you are saved. And this is the wonderful thing about faith. That when we believe these words and promises of God, he gives us those very words and promises that we believe. When we believe that God is merciful, we receive his mercy. We have it. It's ours. When we believe that Jesus forgives sinners, we are forgiven sinners. This is what St. Paul reminds us of. To him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. His faith is counted to him as that which sets him right with God. And so Jesus looks at you just as he has looked at Bartimaeus, and he says, your faith has saved you. And through your faith then, Jesus has brought to you all the treasures of eternity all the treasures that you do not yet see, but you will on the last day. And so this is a thing for us to rejoice in, because this is an account of the Lord dealing with us according to his mercy, not just dealing with Bartimaeus, but dealing with us as well, so that life and salvation and the forgiveness of all of your sins are yours by faith. In the name of Jesus, amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
Thanks for listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword, sermons by Pastor Kilgo at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We'd like to invite you to join us for church, Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have Bible study at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings and at other times throughout the week. Please visit our website at redeemer-lawrence.org for more information. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.